Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Part two of the Victor Mark Show with my dear friend Phil Dark yesterday. Uh, man, it got so good that if you didn't hear it, you need to go back and listen to it on my podcast. On our website, Phil is married. He's got five children, just like us. Uh, but I knew him when he was a young man, before he was even married. He's a well-educated and actually teaching professor at university, even clerk for a federal judge in Honolulu. Uh, but what I want to talk about today and what I'm excited is to talk about your book and your podcast, In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. Uh, and just, by the way, that book, man... It really helps us understand how we can love with excellent millions of orphaned and vulnerable children in our world who've lost their parents and they don't have a relative to love them and likely won't even be adopted. So we're going to get into this, but thank you, Phil, for hanging around and doing another broadcast with us today. Welcome, welcome. Absolutely. Absolutely love doing this. So let's get right into it. But my question to you, because yesterday we talked about fatherlessness. We talked about the family unit. We talked about those three dads who all, you know, they adopted a baby and all their names is in them on the birth certificate. Not somewhere else in the world, but right here in the U.S. And just we talked about the core values of family and why it's so important. But why did you, as a lawyer, a dad, why did you step out of that world, which certainly had its benefits, why did you step out of that and go into caring about, you know, the orphan care? Well, that's a much longer story than we have time for today. I mean, you know the full deal, but the short of it is um, God made it clear in my life that I was supposed to be doing something more with my uh, legal mind than just fighting over money every day. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that for the lawyers out there. It's a great profession. It's just not what I was supposed to be doing. It's not what I was called to do could make a ton of money doing it, could probably share, you know, money with other people, but God made it clear in different ways to me over the course of about four or five years. Um, interestingly, I'd come into it through the the door of International Justice Mission and the anti-trafficking side of things, which I think goes into the podcast that I do that really talks about the interconnectedness of all the different areas of, of uh, ministry that touches the lives of, of vulnerable and children and families. But Really, with the the idea of, I got connected with the orphan care, the orphan care space through my wife and I talking about potential of adoption, and so that got me connected with an orphanage in Honduras, which is the orphanage that um, we actually call it an orphan care community because it's family based care. It's really the model that we talk about that 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 inspired in pursuit of orphan excellence, and it was really something that I came into it never expecting to be leaving the law firm. It was more thinking I'm going to do some pro bono work and just help out people um, on how they can get connected with best practice orphan care. I didn't even know what that meant at the time, but that's really looking back. That's what I was looking to do. Well, wait, all this best practice. I remember one time you, you said you were at a fundraiser and it was, you know, for, for 
ministry organization, whatever, and uh, you got on the subject of talking about uh, when someone was count. They were, I guess, they were proud of sending their clothes to an orphanage, and uh, you know, use clothes like we all typically do. And I remember your statement. You just kind of challenged them, like, "Well, what would be wrong with brand new, nice clothes?" And I thought, man, if that's not true, we we feel our religious charity is great when we give kids like orphans or those who are poor and needy our leftovers and we pat ourselves on the back about it and that's that's one of the things that i so appreciated you about you phil is you said like no there's got to be a better level of excellence in orphan care and uh let me ask for people who really want to dig into this what's the easiest way for them to get your book or listen to your podcast before i forget yeah for sure it's uh amazon.com really is the place to get in pursuit of orphan excellence uh we are out i'm out of them or else i would say hey just connect with me and i can get you a copy but uh amazon.com is is where to get the the book podcast you can find really wherever you get podcasts apple podcast spotify thinkorphan.com is the place you can go to get all the show notes and everything else if you want to go really deep into there you can also reach me at uh, pdark p-d-a-r-k-e at providenceworld.com and I would love to connect with you if you have any questions about anything that we're talking about here and uh, about the book about the podcast really just uh, to connect with me if you want to know how you can love orphan and vulnerable children how you can help children and families to flourish uh, definitely connect with me at any of those places. Yeah. Something that's so important and so critical in our nation and world, it's just not a quick little fix. It's not a microwave solution. It actually takes intentionality, planning, being strategic, and having the heart to want to do this. I, uh, But it's there the right way because so much of people's time, energy, and even giving, they think they're doing right. But it's oftentimes not helping the problem. And worse, it could be perpetuating it to be worse. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, there's a great book that one of the books that inspired me in a lot of ways. And it's one of the books that I really wanted in pursuit of orphan excellence to be a follow up on in the orphan care space is a book called When Helping Hurts. And it talks about uh, how we can allow, alleviate poverty without hurting others or ourselves. Brian Fickert, Stephen Corbett, they're both economists at Chalmers uh, Center at Covenant College down in Tennessee. Brian Fickert actually wrote the foreword to In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence, a brilliant man, a good friend of mine, and he's a guy who really studied it to say, look, we all are in poverty. We all have either poverty of being or poverty of relationship or poverty of community or poverty of a relationship with God. And these are things that if we go into it with that, then we have a mutual brokenness that we're looking to seeking to, to fill. When we go into it with a superiority complex, with we are better than you, that we are, we have something to offer you, but you have nothing to offer us, it tends to exacerbate those poverties that we talked about there. Take the poverty of being, for example. The poverty of being is either a God complex that we often have as Americans going into these places, and you've seen that going overseas, going to different parts of the world. Unfortunately, a lot of times, these countries, these people in these countries around the world exacerbate that because they actually have an inferiority complex. And so mm -hmm. when we come in, they say, yes, give us stuff, give us stuff, give us stuff. And we do, and we feel great about it and actually 
increases that divide rather than us coming together and going, you have something to teach us, we have something to teach you, as you would in any other relationship you have here in the United States or wherever you are. And if you go into that mutual brokenness that we can help each other to be whole, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, or we are helping people who don't know the Lord, right? We have something we can learn from each other, and we have ways that we can help that mutual brokenness. So if we see it as uh, reconciling relationships rather than us fixing you or us helping you, then it changes everything. And it's something that, going back to that giving of, of materials, the, the way that you look at that and you go, hey, if you give your leftovers, if you give things that are shoes that have holes in them or your used underwear or a shirt that is is just whatever it's it's worn well think about that at the other end that actually creates a lot more work with these people on the ground because they actually have to sift through everything to see what they can even do just that alone tells you that you're creating more work than you're helping and that's that's a good tangible example but there's also a lot of that that mutual brokenness i strongly recommend when helping hurts if you haven't read it go grab it because it will help you see things a little bit differently i don't have time to go into it again i spent about four classes on that but those are things that what we're at the core of in pursuit of orphan excellence in pursuit of orphan excellence really was to frame a conversation in the orphan care space to say how can we really care for these children and give them the different things that every child needs. That's why the subtitle is my kids, your kids, our kids, right? To see these children around the world. And you, you and I have talked about James 127 that says religion that is pure and undefiled before God, our father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now let's talk about a very current situation right now that deals exactly with that our border our southern border now with uh, the new president and the white house uh, th- there has been absolutely an increase right and we're we're hopefully planning to go down there and see the humanitarian situation with the kids who are being housed but what are your thoughts on this because obviously you know we're christians we're a good country we want to help anybody. We don't want to turn children away. But by helping, it can create more pain because there are a lot of people that don't see the reality of what happens with young people, children and women who get on these trails to get up here. Many never make it, and you will never know. You will, you will never know. Many and most are raped, and you will never know. I've been to Aurora's. We've been on the border. We have friends in the Department of Homeland Security and Border Control. It's worse than people think. But I really wanted to know your thoughts about it because we obviously don't turn a, you know, cold to this issue. But how can we better it? Well, Victor, I mean, the reality there is everything has its shadow, right? Everything has two sides to it. So with the media, you're going to get one side that's their side. With the government, you're going to get one side that's their side, depending on who's in the Oval Office, right? You're going to get different things that are there. And what I look to it is go, okay, what again, what is the truth? The truth of it is, like you said, there's so much we're not seeing and so much we're not hearing. And the interesting thing there, Victor, is I actually, and, I, and you know, I think you know this, on my podcast, I actually had an entire series on the refugee crisis. Mm-hmm. I interviewed world vision leaders. I interviewed world relief leaders. I interviewed people that were our other leaders, global leaders on the refugee crisis. 
that have visited different countries around the world. Some of these men you know, some of them are people that we don't know, that, that you wouldn't know by name. But they you know, would all say there are two sides of the story. The World Relief President said, look, we need to have a balance of security and mercy, right? And to be able to know that we can't just let everybody else in into our country. Mm -hmm. That's not wise. Of course that's not wise. You and I both know that a good chunk of those kids coming across the border that are now, quote unquote, separated from their parents weren't with their parents. Right. They were likely being trafficked. And so if you don't have a system to understand who these kids are, if they are being trafficked, because the last thing you want to do is bring kids in who are trafficked and to be able to have them be exploited and just abused over and over and over again, because then, because and what is interesting to me is you see the same people who are fighting against trafficking are fighting for immigration just willy-nilly. And I go, do you really know the story? Do you really know the full story? And the answer is no, because we can't possibly know the full story. You and I can't possibly know. You know a lot more of the story because you've been there and you're talking with people a lot who have a lot more knowledge than I do. But I just know from talking with other people and from what I do around the world to go, look, I know that international adoption has stories where there's people that are trafficking these kids to people in the U.S., unbeknownst to the people who are adopting children from Ethiopia in some instances. People from Ethiopia... Um, are being told, hey, if you sell your kid to us for a thousand bucks, we're going to get them an education in the United States and they're going to come back here to Ethiopia and help you and your family. And then this family in the United States, unbeknownst to them, is adopting a child being told that their parents died. And then three years later, their kid talks about how their mom did X, Y, Z. And they're like, wait a sec, what's going on here? Listen to this. This is some of the stuff that's happening in the world of trafficking. Kids being sold. Parents thinking they're making a huge sacrifice. Some people, you know, misinformed, but well-meaning, will support organizations that talk about rescuing a child, heavy on the rescue, but nothing, nothing to do with the, the system, the mechanism, where all they're doing is creating bed space. Mm-hmm. Yes, does it help that child for the moment? Absolutely. But how more important it is to not lose opportunity to stop the mechanism, to, to bring justice into the whole deal, not create more opportunity because, I mean, this is the world we live in. So I, I am so glad that you're here as a subject matter expert giving insight to our friends. If you just tuned in, this is a good friend, colleague, Phil Dart. He is, uh, I've known him since before he was married. That's right. And and he married up, trust you me. Mm -hmm. she, she's not only beautiful, but she's capable, just <laughs> like my bride. And uh, y'all have done so much over the years and dedicated your service to furthering God's kingdom through really practical means and, and uh, you know, again, reaching widows and orphans in their time of need. Now, uh, you both have very stellar backgrounds in athletics at the college level. You're using that nowadays, including and with expanding your reach of effort using soccer to help people understand leadership and just coaching. You know, you, you, tell me about those podcasts so people listening can tune in and benefit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to keep it simple, it's how soccer explains leadership.com. That's where you can go to find out what those podcasts are. But really, at the end of the day, 
um, I want I want people to understand leadership. I want to understand how people can flourish, and so I want to use soccer, this game that I love, and it's also the mo- world's most spoken language. So when I'm looking around the world, when I've gone in and taught leadership in different continents around the world, I use soccer analogies all the time because I know that can immediately connect with people. You and I both know if you go to a different part of the world, you throw a ball in the field, you can have people from all different races, backgrounds, colors, creeds, religions, doesn't matter. You go out there and play, and you can connect. And so you can be able to come in, and those are the, some leadership lessons that we talk about where we take the lessons from the game And we say, okay, how does this apply to your life? How does this apply to your leadership? How does this apply to your marriage? How does this apply to your parenting? Because at the end of the day, I want to use this game for good. It has a ton of good in and of itself just to have fun and get out there and get exercise and do all those things. But if that's where it ends, we're missing a whole lot. So what I hope from this is not only are people learning how soccer explains leadership, but it causes them to think about how, you know, bowling explains leadership, how your drama theater explains leadership, how these other things, leadership, where you're thinking about how these different things that we're doing explain how we can use all these things that we're doing for the greater good, for the the flourishing of this. Because I think there's so many lessons from the game that we can learn. And and yes, soccer has some unique lessons that aren't from everything else. So that's that's my uh, that's why I do what I do on that regard. Coaching Character is another podcast we do that really is bringing all those principles that we're talking about to the game to say coaches how can you use these principles how can you incorporate them into your practices into your trainings to make sure that the kids that you're coaching that you're there is no coach out there who has a neutral impact on his or her players they have positive or they have negative so I want to help you to understand how you can positively impact every child that, that comes into it because you have not just a responsibility but a privilege with these kids that are coming in and sometimes adults that are coming into your care as a coach. Anyway. Now, yeah, no, this this is outstanding. I, I think our listeners do understand, in fact, that there's a crisis of leadership yep. uh, in America and in whatever sphere, you know, we're on, whatever lane they're in, um, and I'll talk to people of faith. I think so many people of faith have taken a back seat, a passive, you know, position and allowed other people to get into key positions. Let's just talk about school boards. Let's talk about education. And, you know, we have, gosh, I think since the beginning of the year in two months, we've had, I don't know. 60, 60 million people, you know, be impacted by our, our social media stuff. And I have gotten a lot of feedback from actually people who don't hold the same values, mm-hmm. don't hold the same care for moral issues or ethics that are in very significant positions leading and teaching kids. And they will impact them. Absolutely. Good or bad. So, you know, it starts in the home, but we need leaders in the church. We've got to raise up men who can lead well and then impact everyone. Because, you know, here in America, you know this is true. For a long time, the pinnacle of spirituality was you would end up in ministry, you know, and you've been president of an organization and a ministry. I have too. I've been on church. I was a pastor both a senior pastor and an associate. I think I bit at both of them, but I learned 
What would you say to that where people who aspire just to be in ministry versus be a leader wherever they are in life? Well, we have created this secular sacred divide, which is just false, right? We all have a way say to— Say that again? That's a pretty college. That sounded pretty— Pretty high yeah, I apologize. I apologize for that. I forgot who I was talking to for a minute, which really, you know, the fact that Bring you were a pastor, the, Cajun men. the fact that you were a pastor and associate pastor shows how low the bar is, folks. Just just a heads up on that. Exactly. But that, that's that's I mean, something right there. No, but in all seriousness, they the, were desperate. The secular sacred divide. So we basically put the pastor, quote unquote, pastor, the leader of ministry. I mean, heck, when I became a president of a Christian ministry, everyone said, ooh, that is more spiritual than you being a lawyer. But let me tell you right now, if you're a lawyer out there <laughs> doing amazing work for the kingdom, that's an incredible spiritual leader. Get it. That's something that's going to be way harder to do than what I'm doing right now from a spiritual yep. standpoint. Now, I'm not going to tell you the spiritual warfare is massive in the work that I do. No question about it. I mean, kids, my yeah. wife, me, Agreed. I mean, we're being attacked Agreed. all over the place. If we're not in prayer, absolutely. Pre pastors as well. But that's part of what I, what I get confused about, Victor, and you'll agree with me here. And I, I may be going a little off topic here, but Come on. if pastors aren't experiencing spiritual warfare and spiritual battle, what are they doing? Uh, they're not being effective. I can tell you now, and you know? it ebbs and flows, but man, it's like a combat vet. If yeah. you're put into these positions where you got to do the work, you're going to get shot at, brother. Well, and I think what happens, too, is what you see a lot of times in our churches today. And I'm not going to say it's just mega church. It's also small churches. It happens all the time where yeah. the the void of leadership in our society where where we have created this. I mean, if you just look at John Maxwell has five levels of leadership. Positional leadership is at the bottom. That's not true leadership. That's just a position. But you're seeing that a lot of pastors are seeing it as, well, I'm pastor, therefore I'm leader. No, you're not. Whether you're a pastor, I, I want pastors to have to earn the title of pastor where you're actually shepherding, right? A pastor yes. is supposed to be yes. shepherding the flock. But what there we've turned go. a pastor into is a preacher where you yeah. are preaching on Sundays, you're spending 40 hours a week preparing that sermon and you preach and then you leave the church right afterwards rather than actually spending time to pastor your flock. You're not even doing it on Sundays, <laughs> let alone throughout the week. So That's again, good. this is something that I think that Going back Ouch. to that secular sacred divide, and I'm look, I'm not I'm not condemning or saying any particular pastor. I'm just saying hopefully this is a challenge to you, pastors. Right. And going back to where we say, like, I'm here to just say that I'm just the messenger. And I'm yeah. just someone saying what I how I read the Bible, how I read scripture, how I saw these leaders in the church. Now there are people like the Apostle Paul who is there to just throw it out there, drop the mic and and go to a different city, yes, but he also clearly shepherded as his letters tell us, right? Yeah, so yeah. those are things, anyway, that, that's, that's my two cents on that, where I want to make sure you understand, folks, just because you have a position, you're not a leader. I think that's where our void of leadership comes from, is we've said, look, all these leaders, quote-unquote, in the government, language matters, words matter. To call someone a leader is a very, very important title that you want to mm. give someone who's actually influencing in a way that is not because they have a position, but because of who they are and because you want to follow them. So if that's not your pastor, I want to say challenge your pastor to be better. Don't bail and go to a different church. Go and encourage your pastor, love your pastor, and challenge them. Iron sharpens iron. That is not something that's an easy process. That's something that's hurt, that's hard, that causes sparks. 
So that's something I want to encourage you to do. And I, I do it, you know, one, my pastors are my brothers, and I, I see them as that, and I love them, and I encourage them, and I challenge them, and they do the same to me. And if you're not doing that, I want to say, go for it. Start doing that. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why you were on my board for a decade. I, I knew always, I knew always had you to go, and what about that? And what about this? Are you sure? And that actually gave me a sense of security because I go, you know, people get in trouble when they start surrounding themselves with yes men. Yep. Now, if someone's just a bonehead and they're not for you, well, that's different. But when somebody loves you and loves God and speak the truth to you, and heck, I end up mentoring you in the early years, right? And that's why I knew you would be a solid fit uh, as a board member for so many years. Now, we're, we're going to have to wrap this up, which uh, I'm okay with doing it because I've, I've talked to you enough. I've had my feel today. Feel. <laughs> did you see nice. what I just I, did? I did. I did. That was fantastic. Fancy yes. wordplay. Um, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Just email me at pdark, P-D-A-R-K-E, at providenceworld.com. That's that's the best way to get a hold of me. That's my uh, email address, and just shoot me an email. It'll come right to Are me. Are you on social media too, though? Oh, yeah, I am. You got some I am. social media action? At Phil Dark Twitter, at Phil Dark Instagram, Phil Dark on LinkedIn. It's pretty easy. It's the guy who is the orphan care guy. And uh, Facebook is Phil Dark as well. I just keep it pretty simple there. That's D-A-R-K-E. Correct. Brother, thank you. Absolutely. So listen, whatever you're called to do, whatever lane you're running in, Let's go get it done. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.